This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Heavenly Father, we do come before Your throne of grace, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Father, we are so thankful to You for Your mercy towards us. So thankful for Your great love that You lavish upon us, making us sons, heirs of Your kingdom, joint heirs with Christ. Lord, in saving us, keeping us, glorifying us, presenting us to Yourself, faultless, blameless. Lord, we thank You for these precious promises. We thank You for the new covenant ratified by the blood of Jesus. Lord, we're bought, redeemed. We're Yours, Father. Lord, help us tonight as we consider the text to let these things sink in come alive in our own minds and hearts so that we realize the truth of them, so that we realize the great and precious inheritance that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. So great a salvation. Again, we thank You and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, um, turn with me to Matthew 26, and I'm, I'm going to, um, from time to time, I, I uh, try to give opportunity for questions, and, and I, I remember Bill said he had one this morning, so and we haven't got, gotten to talk, so I'm going to give him opportunity now, and if you, anybody else has a question before we get into the text here, um, then, uh, you know, we're, we're, I welcome that. Go ahead, brother. You, did you want to? Right? Amen. I don't see but I'm stupid I think I am. I don't see where Jesus was teaching it a secret, but yet they didn't know. Are you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, they were missing it. That's one thing. Another question that goes right along with that, I was thinking did Judas all along have the idea that one day he was going to be praying Christ or was he just kind of Yeah, um, we were just talking about that a few minutes ago. As a matter of fact, um, I, I, you know, I, I have to do s- some speculation on that last one. Not 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 total speculation, but but some. Um, it 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 would seem to me that um, I I doubt that he knew all along he was going to betray Christ. I don't think that's why he got into the movement. Um, he was probably a zealot. Uh, with hopes of overthrowing the the Roman government, like like many of them were. In fact, there have been many many attempts to do that over the years. Um, he he probably got in with those intentions, thinking Jesus might be the true Messiah, but but with the idea that um, he would free them from Roman rule, set up you know reestablish the, the kingdom of Israel, and reign in that sense. 
so no, I don't, I don't think he, he intended all along to betray him. However, what we were talking about in the back just a little while ago, the, the difference in genuine, genuine believers and um, hypocrites or those who are deceived. I think that Judas probably knew all along that he, he, his heart wasn't right. The reason I say that, he, he was a thief. Um, we're told that he kept the money bag and he was stealing from it. So it's not like he was the, the model Christ follower. He, he was up to no good the whole time. Um, but, but I think probably, and again, there's a little bit of speculation at this point, but I think probably he got in, uh, followed Christ because he, he had hopes that uh, uh, they would be freed from Roman rule and the nation of Israel would, would uh, have its sovereignty again and that he would have some position in that. And, you know, I, I don't think he intended from the start to, to betray Christ, but, uh, but that's where it led. The son of perdition, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's what I was saying a moment ago. He he was a sinner. It wasn't like he was the model um, Christ follower. Uh, he was a thief. He was he was stealing from Jesus all along. So I mean, he he knew obviously, uh, or well, let's say it this way: he obviously didn't didn't have a, a genuine love for Christ. Uh, he he was in it to get whatever he could get out of it. I don't know what all he was hoping for, but at least. We know this much. He was hoping to get whatever he could get out of the money bag, and he was doing that. And, uh, and like I say, probably hoping for position in the kingdom as well. Uh, I'm speculating there. But, but, uh, but yeah, he, he wasn't, uh, his heart wasn't right. And I assume, well, I, I have to assume that he, he knew he was doing wrong with the things like the stealing. Um, but, uh, you know, did he understand that he was not in right relationship with God? I, yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Hmm? Yeah, well, he was demon possessed. Um, when when, uh, <clears throat> when the account we read this morning didn't record it, it's either in John or Mark where it mentions that when Jesus dismissed him. Satan entered him at that point. Um, I don't remember if it was Mark or John. It's either Mark 14 or John 12. Let me look real quick. Son of man must be lifted up. Let's see. Not John 12. Thank you. 13.27 Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. And now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. So, I mean, at this point, he's, he's under the influence of, of Satan. And not, not a demon, Satan. Satan. 
He didn't know. I know yeah. I mean, you know, it's just that he's been, they're talking about he's going to betray Jesus, and the next minute he gets up and walks out. Yeah. But they, they didn't know what he... They know God can't say that, if they knew, yeah. But you see, they didn't know what he was doing. They thought he's, he's going to buy something, or he's going to give something to the poor. Uh, and, and again, that's why I tried to highlight that about a little bit this morning, because that is one of the things that is so... Astounding to me that he could be among the twelve and they did not know that he was a traitor. Now, and think about this ain't just showing up for church on Sunday and Wednesday. These guys live together 24-7. So 24-7 for three and a half years, he had them fooled. That's right. Yeah. 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 That shows that they were people just like we were because they were questioning. Did I do that? Lord, is it me? Yeah. You know, I mean, they realized that they were still sinful and that they could, as we think so, but. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't, yeah. In fact, Peter, you know, he tried to deny. He said, Lord, I'll go with you to the death. <laughs> but I won't ever deny you, but he did, of course. Um, but yeah, but Judas knew. None of, none of them at the table knew um, except for Jesus and Judas. Judas knew who the traitor was, and Jesus knew who it was. Yeah. If if uh, if if we acted on that, is that what you mean? Sometimes you do know. I mean, sometimes they go off the deep end. I mean, sometimes it becomes blatant. Uh, I mean, Paul said about Demas, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Um, it became apparent at some point that Demas was apostate. Um, so sometimes you do know, but not always. Not always. Uh, but let me say this, though, in regard to that parable, because that, that, that gets brought up a lot. In that parable, the field is the world. Jesus plainly says that. The field is the world. So um, I don't think we ought to be trying to take them out of the world. I, I, I think we ought to be trying to take them out of the church insofar as we can. But I still want to say even, even that cautiously because uh, you, you, you're, you're suggesting we exercise caution, and, and I agree 100%. 
even even in purifying the church insofar as we can humanly, um, which is not very far, but insofar as we can, um, we, we need to exercise extreme caution for the reasons you just said. But in that parable, the wheat and the tares, they're growing together in the world. And and Jesus says, basically, that's the way it's going to be to the end. So, so we're all going to live together. We're going to coexist, believers and unbelievers, in the world. And, uh, and God will uh, do the sorting out, the dividing at, at the judgment. That's not our, that's not our responsibility. We're not, we're not out there trying to decide who's elect and who's not. We, we just preach the gospel. Just preach the gospel. I'm glad we don't have that job. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad I wasn't called to be a judge. So glad. So glad. We just preach the gospel. Okay. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's ironic, isn't it, to betray him with a kiss? I mean, that's, that's cold-hearted, um, you know. And it says a lot about Judas, about his heart, the condition of his heart. And, frankly, it says a lot about the condition of every, <laughs> every sinner's heart uh, apart from Christ. Anybody else? Good comments, yeah. A lot, lot to think about there. A lot to think about. Um. It's, it's, you know, if you and I had written the story, probably it would have been an outsider, certainly not one of the twelve. You know what I'm saying? Again, that, that, that just comes back to me over and over. If, if you and I had written the story, we're writing a story, the betrayer would, would probably be somebody who, who, it was obvious, hated him and wouldn't follow him and that kind of thing. But he was right in his midst Round the clock, three and a half years. He heard uh, teaching straight from the Master's mouth. Um, if you ever... Um, I mean, I think about this uh, not, not in, a, 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 in an encouraging way, not, a, not, not like a judgmental way, but I, I, I think about this as, as one who, who teaches the Scripture. And any of you who ever... Do any teaching or even just sharing, even if you're just sharing the gospel with a friend or whatever, 
And, and if you get discouraged that they aren't taking it to heart, and, and, and sometimes you feel like, um, you know, well, what can I do better? What, what am I saying wrong? And that's legitimate. I mean, we're all, we are, we're all sinners. We certainly don't say things perfectly. Um, there's, there's some legitimacy there. But at the same time, remember this. They rejected Jesus. I, I promise you, He never said anything wrong. He never misstated anything. He never. He not only did he did he never misstate any of the facts, but he always said the right thing at the right time. So it's not just a matter of getting it right factually. He was always speaking in season, the the, the very right thing to say at the at the right time to the right person. And many of them, including Judas. Uh, rejected him in the end. And think about the, the, the intimacy as, as one who is among the twelve. Um, he's not just hearing Jesus speaking to multitudes, giving parables and that kind of thing, but when they're sitting uh, like, like they are in, in Matthew 26, when they're sitting around the, the table setting, it's very intimate, it's very private, and Jesus is speaking to them as, as closest friends. And Judas was in on all of that and rejected Christ in the end. Uh, and it's not because Jesus did something wrong. And so, uh, it's some encouragement for us because uh, maybe the majority of the people that we speak to are, go- are going to uh, not hear, reject, walk away, whatever. Um, it's not necessarily because we've done anything wrong. Although I'm sure we do. But, but uh, God, hey... Even when there's positive response, God works in spite of us, not because of us. <laughs> okay, so, so you know, it's it's because they're they're in rebellion. They're they're just simply in rebellion to God. So, our job is just is just keep loving them and keep presenting the truth, and uh, leave the saving part up to God because He's the only one who can. So, like I say, I hope, hope you find encouragement in that because I, I, uh, I think there's a lot there. Um, G- Jesus was the perfect preacher or, you know, perfect speaker in terms of sharing the gospel. And they still rejected him. Many did. Okay. Anybody else? Before we dive in here. All right. Um, and, this, and this is still the scene. Although, um, at this point where we're picking up tonight, Jesus is, or Judas rather is gone. Um, so, uh, that too, I think, is, um, is, um, is, is meaningful. In other words, he doesn't, he doesn't even get to finish out uh, this, this last Passover feast with them uh, because of his, his uh, betrayal, betraying the Lord. So, there does come a point, although as I just said, he spent three and a half years now, 24-7 with them. There does come a point here at the very end where he's dismissed. And now we're just left with Jesus and the faithful. And again, in, in chapter 26, let me go down to verse 26. And remember, this is um, they are what they're doing here is observing the Passover. And I'm just going to read a few verses here and then come back and talk a little bit about that. Verse 26: As they were eating, Jesus took bread and, after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, "Take, 
eat. This is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Okay, um, let's stop there. <coughs> Go with me to, uh, you, you may want to hold your place here, but turn with me back to Exodus chapter 12. What's, what's going on with the Passover? Somebody want to answer that question? What's, what's going on with the Passover? Why are they, what is this feast about that they're keeping, that they're observing? Anybody? There you go. It's, it's, it's a uh, commemoration of their deliverance from Egypt. Um, and so that's what's happening in Exodus chapter 12. Now, this is the, the oldest of all the feasts that the Jews observe uh, to this day. Um, this is, this is the, 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 uh, the initial one uh, where God is establishing um, in the works here of establishing His covenant with His people. So at this point in Exodus 12, they are still in Egypt. The, the, the Israelites are slaves in Egypt. If you remember, um, they went in, 70 people. Um, remember the story of... of uh, Joseph, the son of, of Jacob, uh, Israel, um, he, he goes in, uh, he's sold into slavery, goes into Egypt as a slave, and he winds up uh, second in command. He's second only to Pharaoh. And then when there's a great famine in the land, uh, the rest of his family is brought down into Egypt. And uh, again, because Joseph is second in command, he's able to, uh, to care for them. And so he brings them down into Egypt, and they remain there. For over 400 years. But, of course, during that time, um, Pharaoh that knew Joseph, of course, dies. And other Pharaohs uh, are raised up. Those who didn't know him. And also during that time, the, Israel, the, the uh, children of Israel are multiplying like crazy. Seventy of them when they first go in. But then they're just, uh, you know, population explosion among the Jews. And so the Pharaoh gets nervous and says, you know, these, these people are going to wind up um, joining with our enemies and overtaking us. And so we need, to, we, need to, we need to get a handle on them. We need to make slaves out of them. So they become slaves in the land of Egypt. And now, 400 years later, um, here we are. God is sending Moses in to deliver them out of Egypt. And where I'm about to read from here in Exodus 12, he's, he's already released the uh, ten plagues. Remember, Moses goes in initially, tells Pharaoh, let my people go. And, of course, Pharaoh says, no, no way. And so he brings a plague on the land. And this, he goes through ten, ten plagues on the land of Egypt before Pharaoh finally says, um, get out. And... They take the spoil of the land with them. People load them up with stuff they need and they leave Egypt. This is the night before they leave in Exodus chapter 12. And the Lord commands them to keep this feast because this, this is the very last plague, the tenth plague. There's going to be a destroyer. 
death angel that comes into the land and destroys all of the firstborn, <coughs> firstborn of Egypt, man and beast. This is the final plague. All of the firstborn in Egypt will die this night. So, the Lord tells the children of Israel, in order to protect them, here's what you're going to do. You're going to kill a lamb, and you're going to take the blood, and you're going to put it on the doorpost of your house. And when the destroyer comes, you'll see the blood and pass over your house. And so the firstborn of your household will be spared if you do what the Lord says to do here. And that night, um, they, they, the same lamb that they slaughtered in order to use the blood and put over the doorpost, they, they sit down and eat that lamb. And this, is, this becomes the Feast of Passover because the, the death angel, the destroyer, is passing over their houses because they've got it marked with the blood of the Lamb, which indicates that they belong to the Lord. They're the people of God. Now, all the rest of the people in Egypt, the Egyptians, don't have, uh, you know, they're not observing this. They don't have their houses marked. All of the firstborn in Egypt died. Every last one of them from the, from the firstborn of Pharaoh all the way down to the firstborn of the common people. Um, and you can imagine the kind of grief going on there. But let me read a little bit of this. Uh, Exodus 12.1. This is where the Lord is giving them the command about uh, the Feast of Passover. This is the institution of it, the very first time. Uh, this is roughly uh, 1,500 years before, before Christ. So, what we're seeing in Matthew 26, the Jews have been doing this every year on the 14th day of of Nisan, the, the, the first uh, month of the Jewish calendar. They've been doing this every year for 1,500 years, remembering God delivering them from the land of Egypt. Verse 1, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household, and if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to, the, to each, uh, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Now, that's, that's what's happening in Matthew 26. You're on the 14th day of the month. It's the day that the lambs are slaughtered and eaten. Verse 7, Then they shall take some of the blood, put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roast it on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover." 
For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So that's what the Feast of Passover, um, which is observed by uh, Jews to this day, that's, that's what it's commemorating. This night, when the last plague was uh, executed on the land of Egypt, and the children of Israel were, the following day, the children of Israel were delivered from the land of Egypt. So the uh, reason it's called the Feast of Passover, because they did what the Lord said, put the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost, God said, I will pass over your house. And like that last sentence says, no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So that's what's going on with the Feast of Passover. That's what they're commemorating. This year, uh, I thought it was interesting, uh, um, Passover, um, the Jewish Passover, because their calendar is different, you know, if you go by our calendar, it falls on different dates, right? But this year it happened to be um, Good Friday was, was the Jewish Passover. So, well, why don't we keep the Passover? Because uh, it's been fulfilled and, and Jesus is the true Passover lamb and it's the blood of Jesus that keeps us from the wrath of God uh, and causes the wrath of God to pass over us. Um, so, um, it's, it's been fulfilled, so we don't keep it anymore. The reason Jews keep it to this day is because they don't accept Jesus as Messiah. Um, they're, they're unbelievers. And so uh, those who follow the Jewish religion to this day um, keep the Passover feast. All right, um, so this is what's going on in Matthew 26. They are celebrating the Passover together, remembering... Uh, God's deliver, delivering them out of Egypt. Now, why, um, why would why would God choose for Jesus to die during this festival? That's right, because because He's the fulfillment of all of those lambs that have been slaughtered throughout the centuries. He, he's the true lamb, in other words. It's just like the bread that God rained on them in the wilderness, the manna. Jesus said in John 6, I'm the true bread. I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. Uh, all of that manna in the wilderness just pictured Christ. Christ is the true bread. Well, it's the same way here. The Paschal Lamb, that is the Passover Lamb, pictured what God was going to do for His people in sending His own Son into the, cro- into the world to go to the cross and bear the wrath of God for our sins. And so this happens, that is, the, the crucifixion of Jesus happens during the Passover celebration, all right, the, the, uh, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which the whole feast lasted seven days, beginning on the uh, uh, 14th day of Nisan, which is what we were just reading about in Exodus 12. So when you look at Matthew 26, and we call it the Lord's Supper, but... Uh, and it is, I'll get to that in a moment, but actually what they were doing at the time was sitting down to celebrate the Passover. 
fact, if you back up just a little bit where we read this morning, um, verse 17, Matthew 26, verse 17, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And they're talking about the meal we just read about in Exodus 12. And so then he gives them direct uh, instructions, verse 18, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So that's what they're doing in Matthew 26. Um, but now it's during this Passover feast that, that was instituted way back, you know, 1,500 years before in Exodus 12. It's during this Passover feast with Jesus and His disciples that Jesus institutes another commemoration. Another observance. What is that? The Lord's Supper. What we call the Lord's Supper. Or sometimes we refer to it as the Eucharist. Um, that, that comes from the Greek word for giving, uh, giving thanks. Uh, Eucharisto, giving thanks. And that's what they're doing. Um, and so, uh, that's, that's another name for it. The Eucharist. The Lord's Supper. So, um, that's... that's it, one thing they're doing is commemorating a feast that's been going on for 1,500 years. Another thing that's happening here is Jesus is starting a new um, commemoration, the Lord's Supper, which we still observe to this day. Let me go back again to verse 26, Matthew 26, 26. Now, as they were eating, that is, as they were eating the Passover meal, and we don't know... Um, at, at what point they used different pieces of bread, different cups. My understanding is there were four cups. You know, the, the, it's, it's, it's liturgy. There's, there's certain steps they go through in eating the meal, four cups that they partake of. And uh, verse 26 says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. So one of, one of the four cups of the meal... And when he had given thanks, and there's the term Eucharist, by the way, when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. So they're in the midst of the Passover, observing the Passover meal. And Jesus takes the bread like Jews have done for centuries. And he breaks it and gives it to the disciples and says, take, eat. This is my body. <laughs> what he's saying is, this bread of the Passover represents his body. And Jews have been doing this feast for 1,500 years without understanding that. Without understanding that the bread represents the body of Christ and the wine represents the blood of Christ. So he says, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. And, the, and by the way, the, you know, I think the, the symbolism there is simply this. If you, if you eat the bread, which is, again, in John 6, Jesus said, unless you uh, eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink the blood of the Son of Man, you have no part with me. Now, that, that sounds very... You know, grotesque. 
He's not talking about literally eating literal flesh and blood. But he's talking about partaking of Him. Participating in what in His redemption and what He's doing. Participating in His life. Like, like uh, the psalmist, Psalm 37. Taste and see that the Lord is good. In other words, experience Him. You don't just say, oh, you know, I, I believe that Jesus existed. I believe He was a good man. I think He was really a historical figure. No, know Him. Experience Him. Taste Him. See that He's good. It's similar here. He's meaning partake of Him. Take, eat. This is my body. That's what that symbolizes of. Be a partaker of Christ. And He took a cup, one of the the cups of the supper, and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. Well, Covenants were ratified by the shedding of blood. In fact, uh, the old covenant um, between God and the nation of Israel was was continually, you know, like reestablished through the shedding of blood for the remission of the sins of the people, and also just as a as a sign, you know, sacrifice has been made, propitiation has been made, like we've been talking about on Wednesday nights, and so reconciliation with God is achieved through. The sacrificial death of a substitute. And so in the Old Testament, that would be bulls, rams, goats, turtle doves, pigeons. Did, those, did the blood of those animals really remove sin? No. But it pictured something or someone who would. And now, here's the, the reality. Here's what all of that picture. Jesus being delivered up. Take, eat. This is my body. He took the cup when He had given thanks. He gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. Again, partake. Be a partaker of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. For this is my blood. That is, the sacrifice of the Son of God, Jesus Himself, is the blood of the covenant. This time it's not like the old covenant. It's not the blood of bulls and goats. The blood of the new covenant is the sinless Son of God. It is ratified by the spilling of the blood of the sinless Son of God. And that's what he's referring to here, the new covenant. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. That is, my blood is poured out for many for the forgiveness of of sins and the writer of Hebrews tells us, based on uh, all of what we have in the Old Testament, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That is, there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And so that's what Jesus is doing here. Just like God cut a covenant with Abraham, which was ratified with a sacrifice. Now, He makes a new covenant with believers through the death of His own Son. Well, what, what is this new covenant? What is Jesus referring to here? I want to do this, try to do this rather quickly here, but I'm going to go to Jeremiah 31 where um, 
It is prophesied, Jeremiah 31. And remember, this is what we're about to read in Jeremiah is... This is being spoken during the Old Covenant. God's covenant with the nation of Israel. Um, which, you know, He established, and we saw some of that in Exodus 12, when He brought them out of Egypt and then later on, on uh, Mount Horeb, when He gave them the law. Well, you know the history of the Jews. You know they didn't do too well at keeping the law, right? They didn't do too well at living in submission to God. And they didn't do too well at loving God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength like He had commanded. And loving their neighbor as God commanded. So, now, in Jeremiah 31, verse 31, He promises a new covenant. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the old covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, that is the old covenant, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this, verse 33, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, where did he write the law in the Old Covenant? Stone. Tablets of stone, right? He wrote it on tablets of stone when Moses was on the mount. He says, this time, I'm not going to write it on tablets of stone and give it to them. I'm going to write it on their hearts. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Notice, notice how, um, how, how definitely he speaks. I will be their God, they shall be my people. This has not really happened with the nation of Israel. I mean, in one sense, yes, if, if you were a Jew, and, and if you were a male Jew, and you were circumcised, then okay, you, you were considered one of God's people. But he didn't have their hearts. They didn't love him. So, so they weren't really his people in truth. But now he's saying that's going to change. I'm going to write my law on their hearts. They will be my people. I will be their God. They will be my people. Verse 34, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, so, in the, in the Old Covenant, the Old Covenant was a mixture of people who knew the Lord, like David, Elijah, um, you know, you name them. There's a, a, lot, a lot of them we could name. Jeremiah, the prophet speaking here, Daniel. The Old, the old Covenant was a mixture of people who knew the Lord and people who did not know the Lord, like Ahab and Jezebel, maybe. Or think of all the wicked kings that that came along throughout Israel's history um, and refused to submit to God. So you had a mixture of people who really knew the Lord and people who did not know the Lord who were among God's covenant people, the Jews. But now he's saying, in the new covenant, all of the covenant people will know Him in truth. 
It's not going to be a mixture of say, what we would say saved and lost. Everybody's going to know the Lord. Every member in the new covenant will know Him. So, you will no longer say to your neighbor, Know the Lord, for they shall all know Me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Now, that's the covenant that Jesus has in mind in Matthew 26. That's the covenant. In other words, what He's saying is, I'm here to establish that covenant. To ratify it with my own blood. This, this is my blood. This is the new covenant in my blood. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. What did the Lord say through Jeremiah? I will forgive their iniquities. Remember their sins no more. Jesus is saying, this is it. The time has come. So He's establishing with them the new covenant in what we call today the Lord's Supper. So, he has, he has, He's the ultimate Paschal Lamb. Right? So the Passover is fulfilled. There's no more reason to go out and slaughter lambs on the, the day of uh, Passover or, or to observe the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Those things were types and shadows. We now have the substance in Christ. And what did John Remember John the Baptist when he saw Jesus? What did he say? That's right. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. <laughs> he, he's the true Lamb, capital L, the true Lamb of God who takes away sin. So, we don't keep the Passover anymore, but now, because of what the Lord has done here, um, we do observe the Lord's Supper. So, we, we serve in, in uh, what we call the Lord's Supper, the bread and the juice, the bread representing the body of Christ, the juice representing the blood of Christ, which was shed for forgiveness of sins for many. It's the new covenant in His blood, ratified in His death, His suffering and death. He is the Paschal Lamb. Um, Jesus is, is, is doing all of this, all of this imagery, as, as they sit and they eat and they, they keep a, a, a ceremony, they observe a ceremony that they've been doing for hundreds of years. And He's doing this knowing there's a reality behind it that is going to come to pass this very night. I mean, when He says, this is My body, this is My blood, He knows that when He gets up from this, He's going to the cross to lay down His life for the sins of those who believe on Him. When the Passover was initiated, back in Exodus 12, when the destroyer sent from God, in fact, was the Lord, 
came into Israel to kill all of the firstborn. He instructed those who believed on him, the Jews, he instructed them to put to kill a lamb and put the blood on the lintel and on the doorpost. And he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That is, you won't die. And pictured in that, <laughs> that, that deliverance from the wrath of God and, and that deliverance from Egypt is our deliverance from the wrath of God and our deliverance from sin. This time it's not a lamb that has been slaughtered for us, the blood put on the doorpost, but it is the blood of Jesus Himself, the Lamb of God. And if the death of Christ, His suffering, His death, His payment for sin, if the death of Christ is applied to you, that is, if the work of Christ on the cross is applied to you and me, then we're delivered from the wrath of God. He says, when I, like the old song we sing, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So the question is not, have I been good enough? Have I attended church enough? Do I do the right things? Say the right things? Have I gotten rid of all the bad habits or enough of the bad habits so that I can be acceptable to God? The question is, is the sacrificial atoning death of Christ, the blood of Christ, applied to you? That's the question. Or to say the same thing another way, are you in Christ? Do you know Him? Jesus said, this is My body. Eat! This is My blood. Drink! Are you a partaker of Jesus Christ? Are you a partaker of the benefits of His sacrificial death? Are you in Christ? And if not, if the answer to that question is no, then there's every reason to fear the wrath of God. It's not just coming. It's already on you. you. You may not realize it, but it's already on you. And it's coming in greater degree. But if so, if you are in Christ, <laughs> then know that because of what Jesus has done in your behalf, He passes over you and all that is in your future is God's favor. There's, there's no experiencing the wrath of God for a child of God. Let's pray and we'll close. Father, we do come again in the name of Jesus and just want to express thanks, Lord, for what You've done. What You've done through the substitutionary death of Jesus. Taking the, 
sin of all those who believe on Him upon Himself, bearing the full measure of your wrath in our place. Not because we deserve it. Not because we earn it. Simply out of Your grace because You love us. And Lord, I pray there's anybody in this room tonight who does not know You in truth, if they've not tasted Lord, give them the hunger. May may their soul, by Your power, may their soul be hungry for righteousness. Long for the knowledge of You. And may they submit to You and Your Lordship and know pleasures of knowing You. Taste and see the Lord is good. We ask that You grant it and again we thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.